These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is around the whole land of Havilah, where, good, uh, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Right. One other reminder before we get started, as we continue to extend the fellowship to our new officers, we will have a potluck right after the service. We have uh, a delicious cake and uh, uh, some delicious food, and, and uh, what else is there is, is really up to you guys. So hopefully you'll be able to join us for that time of fellowship. All right, well, as I was uh, preparing this sermon, a flash in my head of a, of a picture came to my mind, and, and I have to have to trust those from time to time because this one was so far out of the usual that there had to be something to it. I had in my mind an old Far Side cartoon. You guys all familiar with Far Side? And it was this cartoon. I remember reading that as a kid, and I, I didn't uh, even know why it was funny, but it is hilarious to me. So here we go. We've got two cows living in a living room with all kinds of modern uh, uh, features and, and uh, luxuries. Uh, the, the, the male cow sitting there in the, in the recliner, and the female cow is looking out the, the window. And the caption is, Wendell, I'm not content. Why is that so funny? 
I mean, it's far side, so it's a little bit bizarre. I know maybe my sense of humor is not, not like yours. Why is that so funny? Because cows are the most content creatures. Have you ever seen cows? They are just, they don't care about anything. They are completely content. They don't have a dream in their head. They're going nowhere. Follow a cow trail, it circles. They won't even walk somewhere else. They'll walk right behind the other cow. So the only thing they see is the cow's backside their whole day. That's a cow. They are by definition content. They don't need anything. They don't want anything. They don't even know what it means to want anything. Now, I don't know what Gary Larson is trying to get at in this cartoon, whether he's saying that we should be more like cows or, or what, but he seems to be putting the picture of what if these were people? Because people say it all the time. We are surrounded by stuff and luxuries, and we look at it and we continue to say we are not content. So I don't know if Gary Larson is trying to say we need to be more like cows or if he's just showing us how cows are different than people. I don't know. But it does reveal to us something very fundamental that's different about animal kind and humankind. And that is this. Humans have dreams. Humans want. Humans are looking for something. Humans, you and I, are not content. What does that mean? Why do we long for a better, always. Why are we always after a better? Why do we fundamentally think things aren't right? Cows don't think that. Why do we know there is a good life and that we need to go after it and get it? That's not how cows think. Why do we think that? The human is built with a longing for a better world. That's just how we have been built. C.S. Lewis says this profound thing, which I think all of us can relate to at times. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often, I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts, we have never desired any, we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. All your life, an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it or else that it was within your reach and yet you have lost it forever. Do you get what Lewis is talking about in his artful way? We have a desire for a better world, a desire that we can never say we've got to. It's always ahead. It's always out of reach. What is that? Why do we have that? Why does that make us human, that we are not content? 
I believe Genesis chapter 2 gives us the reason why. The reason why is that we were made for Eden. We were made for Eden, for paradise, for heaven. The story of the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a city. Revelation 22 is made to to, to remind us of Eden. It is where we came from and it is the hope that we end in. Eden is in our hearts. And some of you may ask the question that came up in our questions in Genesis on Wednesday night. Where is Eden? Where is Eden? Well, the best biblical archaeology that has been done to this date has identified with some uh, sense of confidence that the location of Eden is probably a Lafayette. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? <laughs> no. I don't know where Eden is. <clears throat> but I think we can cross Lafayette off. <laughs> Eden, though, is the story of our longings. And I would argue that one of the reasons that we know that Genesis chapter 2 is true is because it describes so well the longings of the human heart. Where do those longings come from? Why haven't those longings died? They don't belong to the cows. Why do they belong to us? Because we were created with Eden for our hearts to be fulfilled. And so I want us to look at at Genesis chapter 2, at the Garden of Eden, and I want to show you, according to the Bible, what is paradise like? I want to stoke your longings. I want to ask you, is this what your heart desires? Does this plumb into the deepness of your mind? This is where it makes sense. This puts me together. Eden is where I would feel whole. That is what I want us to explore. Are your longings found in Eden? What is paradise like then? Let's look at five aspects of paradise. In paradise, God dwells. In paradise, God dwells. We see that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in verse 8. Now we all know this longing. We have been made to wonder. We have been made to be fascinated. We have been made to be curious. Have you been to a mountain range and just lost yourself in wonder? Lost track of time looking at the beauty of the crags and the shapes and the the majesty of a mountain range? Or have you been at a beach and you said, this is so beautiful, I wouldn't want to make this my place forever? Have you been to the Grand Canyon and just got slack-jawed at what that is, at its, at its, its immensity and its detail? Are you familiar with wonder? Do you, do you wonder at things? Are you a person that is filled with fascination? Have you ever got into a subject and just wanted to go deeper and deeper, get another book, go further into it, get get all of it figured out, fascinated? Have you ever been in a, a relationship 
where you just cannot stop thinking about that person, every word, every way they say things, how they move, who they are. Have you ever been just stopped by a piece of art? I want to understand this. I don't want to stay in front of it. Hopefully I have fallen upon human ears and not cow ears this morning. Because I think every single one of us longs with wonder and fascination at some aspect of creation. We are told that that wonder, that longing is pointing us to Eden. When we see Genesis chapter 2, the word Eden, that is the word for bliss or delight or paradise. The Bible is basically saying if you were in Eden, you would be full of wonder and fascination. And why? What makes it paradise? Is it the description of the trees and the springs and the water? No, what makes it paradise is these words, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And what's significant here is this is the first time in the Bible where we get the, the, the title, the name, Lord God. Your text should have it in all caps, more than likely. What we are told here is this is God's covenant name, the name that he revealed to his people to know him personally. If you go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, you, dis- you discover the meaning of the name Lord. It says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord your God is this personal covenant relationship name for God. It's not the name that that God has given himself to anybody. It is only the name that he has given to those he has made a personal covenant with, that he has a relationship with. It's his name, okay? And we are told, not accidentally, that when we get to Genesis chapter 2, that we meet the name Lord in Eden. It is revealed first In Eden. Eden is Eden. Because God is there personally. This is where the Lord God dwells. Where the Lord God makes himself known without reservation. That is what makes Eden, Eden. We look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 and we read these words. This is what it was. 3 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In Eden, you'd bump into God like you'd bump into a neighbor. Oh, hey, God. What's going on? God dwells in Eden. He was known in Eden. Isaiah 51.3 tells us that The Garden of Eden is God's garden. What makes it special, what makes it distinct is God is there. Isaiah 51.3, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. 
So here's the thing. Your heart is made for wonder and fascination and curiosity. And you are able to expend that fascination upon finite created things and fill your life with wonder. Let me ask you, that heart that can wonder and be fascinated and intrigued, what will happen to it when it beholds the infinite, eternal, majestic creator? Your heart longs for a subject to wonder at and delight in and be fascinated by eternally. And in Eden, he is there. What your heart wants to know and to enjoy, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Do we know it? What is the chief end of man? To know God and to to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How can we say he's worthy of forever? Because he is the forever, everlasting, eternal God. You may say, I I just don't get that excited about God. I'm not that intrigued by God. It's it's just, it, it hasn't lit me up. Let me tell you, heaven is like flowers for Algernon. Anybody familiar with that book? There's this character, Charlie, who's very mentally challenged. And he is uh, given some supplements uh, through a medical experiment that allowed him to tap into the fullness of his mind. And so as the pages go on, it's written by Charlie, each page shows the effect of the medicine. And, you know, in 20 pages, he's suddenly contemplating Einstein's theories. On page 40, he's coming up with new theories. On page 60, he is making uh, uh, discoveries that no person has ever even been able to imagine. His mind completely unlocked. When you get to heaven, you are given an unlocked mind with the ability to be fascinated and wonder in and worship and glory in God like you have never been able to on earth. And so for those who say, isn't heaven going to be perfectly boring? Not if you'd love to learn. Not if you love to wonder. That is what Eden holds for you. How long could you enjoy that? But second... In paradise, work is good. In paradise, work is good. Now, we're all familiar with this longing, and and perhaps we need to tease it out a little bit. But work? I mean, how, how many of you are celebrating the goodness of work most days? No, if I if I were probably to look into your mind, the dream of retirement the dream of quitting, the dream of the letter of resignation is not far from your thoughts. When's my last day? When do I get out of here? When am I done with this rat race? That's what we have in our heart when it comes to work. But then here's what happens when you don't have work. You become bored. Very bored. If you have nothing to do, you ache for something. It's a depressing reality, but many men who retire and don't have any hobbies just waste away. And there is the key. 
It's not work that we hate. It's the work that we're doing that we hate. If we could do our hobbies, if we could do our passions, many of us work harder and are more tired at the end of Saturday in our workshop or or wherever than we are Monday through Friday. It reveals to us that we have a longing for work, but the longing that we have is work that satisfies, that's meaningful, that makes us excited. And Eden tells us that work is not a part of the fall. Managers are. (laughs) But work is not a part of the fall. Work images God. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, we are told that God planted a garden. And then in verse 15, God gives Adam the work of keeping the garden. He is saying, as I have planted the garden, now I'm going to give you the garden to keep it and work it. So we are getting to to follow in God's work and do what God does. And if God does it, it must be good. The picture of Adam in the garden is the picture of, of your child who loves to imitate you. Why, why do we sell toy uh, lawnmowers? Why do we sell toy kitchens? Why do we sell all these toy things that we do in our real jobs? Because children have the joy of imitating what their moms and their dads do. That is what work is in Eden. It's the imitation of a child doing what his father does and delighting in being like him. It's joyful. And so when we look at at Eden, when we look at paradise, we see that the work we were created for and the work that we do there is meaningful. Look at verse 5. It tells us that nothing was growing because man was not there yet. Our work in Eden is meaningful. Man is needed for Eden to flourish. Isn't that incredible? God made a garden that needed man to take care of it, for it to flourish. But more, we see that our work in Eden is truly rewarding. We are told that we will work and keep the garden The image there is that that Adam and Eve and his children will continue to work on this garden until they need to make a larger garden because they've been fruitful and multiplied. And so the idea is that as they work and keep this garden, they are extending it, they are spreading it, and they are covering the whole face of the earth. And Eden reflects the glory of God. So as they spread the garden, as they do the work, they are earning the most precious currency. Not dollars, but glory to God. And that currency is imperishable. So everything that they do is meaningful and rewarding. When we go to the book of Revelation, we see it not changing. Revelation 21-26 speaks of the nations where they will bring into the the heavenly city the glory and honor of the nations. There will be work in heaven, but it will be work that is meaningful and rewarding. So the idea that we get from pop music, like the, the talking heads, who have said in that exasperating song, heaven, heaven is a place, a place where nothing 
nothing ever happens, is baloney. In heaven, you are going to enjoy satisfying, worshipful productivity. There will be no boredom. There will be real work that you will enjoy. How long could you enjoy that? Third, in paradise, God reigns. God reigns. Moving to verse 16, we see, And the Lord God commanded the man. Now, it is true, sometimes we struggle with God being in control. But we all have this longing that somebody's in control. That, that somebody is going to get rid of all the brokenness and all of the corruption. That somebody is going to run this world the way it should be. Where it's fair and right and just and good. We all have that longing. Otherwise, we wouldn't vote. And Eden is the fulfillment of that longing because God is there reigning And he is the only one who we can put our full hopes into that he will reign with goodness and justice and righteousness. As we look at Eden, we see his reign is right and good and generous. Why is it right, first of all? He is the creator. I mean, the the fundamental disconnect that we have with whether we submit to God or not really gets resolved when you realize God's your creator. You belong to him, as we shared in our New City Catechism, that our only hope in this world is that we are not our own, but belong both body and soul in life and death to God and to Jesus Christ. We belong both body and soul to God. It is good. His his reign is good. Look at what he says. He says to Adam, you are free. To eat of every tree in the garden. And he gave us wonderful trees that were beautiful to the eye in verse 9. And good to eat. He gave us everything. It's not like he's stingy. He gave us a beautiful garden. And he gave us everything that we need. And he gave us permission to enjoy it. It's generous. It's generous. Every tree. That includes the tree of life. I mean, that's the great mystery to me about Genesis chapter 3, is why are they intrigued with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why isn't the temptation for the tree of life? But the tree of life was not off limits. So we see God's reign right and good and generous. And his laws, his prohibitions are loving why is, are they not to, to eat from the knowledge of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why? Because it'll make God angry? Because God's withholding it? No, because on the day that you eat it, you will die. It's like telling your kid, you can play in the house, have fun with everything, but don't touch the stove, it'll burn you. The rule is loving. The result of God reigning. I mean, if you don't have to worry about brokenness and corruption 
If everything that you need is provided, if, if God is righteous, good, and generous, and that's the one taking care of you, the result then is what? I mean, life is pure joy. It's what, it, it's what you've always wanted it to be. It's joyful. It's like your childhood home when you're four years old. You're not occupied with worries. Your whole day is, how am I going to fill this up with playtime? And your play is work. Work in Eden is going to be like playing. And your time in Eden is going to be as carefree as your four-year-old. Because in paradise, God reigns. How long could you enjoy that? Fourth, in paradise, relationships are rich. In paradise, relationships are rich. We get down to verse 18, and God says, It is not good that man should be alone. Perhaps in, in this world, in our, in our current chaoticness, it's our longing for real relationships that hurts the most. I mean, who knows me? You ever have that question? Who knows me? Who really knows me? Who cares about me? I have Facebook friends. I can tell you who's on the beach this week. But who knows me? Who cares? Who gives me eye contact and wants to see my soul? Psychology Today reports that we are in a loneliness epidemic in our country. They report that a recent Cigna study of 20,000 U.S. adults found that nearly half of Americans feel like they are alone. Only slightly more than 50% of respondents said they had meaningful in-person social interactions on a daily basis. And 50% said they sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they're isolated from others. A, still, a, a smaller but still surprising number of people, 20%, said they never or rarely feel close to people. And 18% felt that they have no one to talk to. This world is full of loneliness, full of relationships that, that don't satisfy. And our heart longs for a real, rich relationship. And even if we have one, we know it could be better. In paradise, relationships are rich. The, only, the, the first time that God says the words not good in his creation is when he takes in the estate of man and recognizes he does not have a helper suitable to him. And he says, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good to be alone. And so in paradise, God remedies that. God created man to be in covenant with him 
and also with others. Do, do you see this profound thing in Genesis 2? God is there. Work is good. God is reigning. But God did not create man to just be fulfilled with God alone. He wants God and community together. It is not good for the man to be alone. He needs partnership. He needs community. There needs to be a community of God worshipers for man to experience true life, true flourishing. Obviously, the first example of this community is marriage, and we're going to deal with marriage in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, for today, we're recognizing that marriage is also meant to reflect the relationship and the deep community that God has for paradise. If you go to Mark and you see the conflict between Jesus and the Sadducees, and he says that in heaven there isn't marriage, but that there's still community, we recognize that underneath marriage is this idea of community that marriage is a, is a reflection of. And so when we look at the relationships that Eden promises, we see that they are rich. God makes a helper fit to the man in correspondence to the man as a perfect fit to the man. And we can understand what those mean in a marriage, but they are also descriptive of the relationships in paradise of all kinds. In heaven, we are fit to one another. We are fit to relationships. That is true community. That means that we are fit to relationships that are deep. We, we, we have a, 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 a relationship that goes all the way down. We are fit to relationships that are complementary. The, the, the relationships make you whole. We are fit to relationships that are delightful. When uh, Adam sees the woman, he breaks out into song. And I think we will sing for joy in heaven because we have relationships that we have never experienced before. Basically, Adam becomes his full self when he meets Eve. And the same thing happens in paradise. You become your full self. The idea is that real relationships connect with you and make you who you are supposed to be. It pulls out all of the flavors, all of the notes of your personality, all of the aspects of, of what makes you you. And we struggle with the fact that one person in this world doesn't quite pull everything out. And so we have multiple relationships. C.S. Lewis talked about a, a group of friends. And when one of his friends died, he lamented that that way he brought out my sense of humor has died with him. Because I, I had a special way of joking with that person that I don't have with anyone else. And that was a part of my personality that died when that person died not keeping it alive. And so if we understand this, this idea that we are made to be in community, then when we get to heaven and we're all perfected and we're all glorified, that all of these relationships will bring out of us all of what we are meant to be relationally. We will be, in a sense, more whole than we can imagine. There will be reunions with people that have gone before us that we have never met. And there will also be awakenings. 
You will know people that you didn't know here like you should have. There will be no loneliness. There is complete understanding. In heaven, people know you and love you. They are made, we are made in relationship. You will love others and you will know them. I mean, how many of us have the question, I wish my dad knew me? In heaven, you know each other. Because that's what it's been made to be. How long can you enjoy that? Fifth, in paradise, sin doesn't exist. In paradise, sin doesn't exist. The chapter ends with, and they were naked and they were not ashamed. That is not just simply speaking of the marital relationship. I believe it is speaking of their, of their state of innocence, their state of freedom from sin. They were naked. They had no need to cover themselves or hide. And they were not ashamed. They had no sense of guilt. They were just who they were. And don't we have a longing for a place where we don't have any fear of being found out? Where we don't have any fear of being shamed for, for being discovered? Don't we long for a place where we don't have guilt? Where there's no need to cover up and hide? I think we're all familiar with that. Why, why do we have so much fear and shame in ourselves? It's because we are not in Eden. And why are we not in Eden? Because we are sinners. Sin is believing that what God has said no to is keeping you from happiness. And how many of us have put ourselves, I would be happy if God's word wasn't followed in this place or that place. We are all transgressors. And because of sin, we hide ourselves and we feel shame. It's because we are sinners that we aren't in paradise because we don't belong there. And that's the tragedy that we stand in right now. We have a longing for Eden. We have a longing for paradise. We know our wholeness is in paradise. But we are disqualified. We don't belong. If we were to be in paradise, we would ruin it. We're brown shoes on a tuxedo. But don't you wish you could live in that place? Don't you wish... You could be there where God dwells, where work is good, where God reigns, where relationships are rich, and where your sins don't exist. If you long for that place, then your longing must call you to live in the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ is where Eden is reclaimed and restored. Listen again to Lewis's words from the beginning. All your life, an unattainable ecstasy 
has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it or else that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. Lewis wants us to know that the longing for Eden is not something that you will find fulfilled by doing nothing. The longing for Eden is fulfilled only by responding to God's gracious offer of the gospel. There are some that stand on the other side, the other veil of life, and they look back and they realize that it was because they never took the gospel into their heart that they never will have Eden. And so... If your longing is for Eden, I call you to the gospel. Listen to these words from Luke 23 as we conclude. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is open through Jesus. Recognizing that you are out of Eden because you are a sinner, because you are disqualified, that you are due judgment. But crying out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the gospel is this, by Christ's sacrifice alone, and by Christ's entering into heaven alone, All who put their faith in him, all who confess him, no matter what hour of life you are in, go where he goes, lives where he lives, experiences God as he experiences God, experiences relationships as he experiences relationships. Eden is a call to believe in Jesus and have your longings fulfilled, and have Eden restored? Have you put your faith in him? Amen.